0: From the Credit Union National Association, this is
1: the CUNA News Podcast.
0: Credit union people, credit union ideas.
1: Hi, I'm Ron Jose. I'm a senior editor with CUNA. As executive director of America's Credit Union Museum, Stephanie Smith doesn't hesitate when asked to name her favorite credit union pioneer. She draws her inspiration from today's credit union torchbearers. Smith says the credit union movement is filled with people who carry on the credit union traditions of people helping people and cooperative self-help. The museum's job is to tell that story. One way the museum will continue to tell that story is through the soon to be opened CUNA Research Center, housed adjacent to America's Credit Union Museum in Manchester, New Hampshire. CUNA was the lead sponsor of America's Credit Union Museum's Legacy Capital Campaign to help ensure the preservation of the credit union system's rich history for future generations. The Research Center will establish a permanent place for the museum's archives, and that's just the first phase of construction. The second phase will include a renovation of the museum. Smith says the opening of the Research Center is the beginning of a new era for the museum, one that will help it do an even better job of what it strives to do every day. Tell the human side of the credit union story. Can you tell me a little bit about your background?
0: Sure. Um, I was a development event planner at a private institution here in New Hampshire that had just finished a $335 million capital campaign. So I was looking for the next great adventure, and I like to call it the perfect storm of circumstances. The museum was looking for a new director who would take on their fundraising role, for their campaign, and then roll that into the daily operations, which is pretty significant in event planning going forward. It's not to say that credit unions were new to me. I often say that I was born in a credit union. My mom started working in our credit union when I was four weeks old, and she was there for 42 years until she retired, so I came into the role understanding credit unions, but I really didn't understand the significance of the credit union movement until I started working here at the museum.
1: Yeah, my story is very similar. My mom worked in a credit union for 30 years, but I didn't understand it either till I started working for, for an association. Now, the, the museum is, is located kind of on sacred grounds for credit unions. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Absolutely. Um, sacred ground is a really a great way to describe that. To give you a little background of exactly where we are, um, the museum is in Manchester, New Hampshire. At the turn of the um, 20th century, in the early 1900s, Manchester, New Hampshire was the largest textile manufacturing center in the nation. And many immigrants came to Manchester to work in the mills. And even though they were gainfully employed, they didn't have access to savings and um, proper credit. So the parish priest from next door at St. Marie's Parish, he knew that he had to do something to help them. He had seen the model for credit unions in his travels and reached out to Alphonse Desjardins. And between the two of them, they got the commitment of Joseph Boivin, the attorney that lived in this house, to open the very first credit union here, which um, helped the parishioners have that access to you know, financial institutions that would be beneficial to them. So for just $5, price of one stock, anybody in the community can become a member. And that's a model that they still carry today.
1: How did that property become the museum?
0: Okay, this is a really cool story. This is one of my favorite Union Museum stories. Good, good. Um, Ron Rio was the president of St. Mary's Bank. And St. Mary's Bank sits down the hill from the museum space. um, Always been on that same block. When they were building that newest branch there at the bottom of the hill, they did some research and discovered that the very first St. Mary's Bank was in this building that I'm sitting in today. And Ron Rio walked up the hill, knocked on the door, and it was the house was owned by um, Armand and Joanne Lemire. And it was a multifamily tenement apartment building at the time. And Ron asked Mr. Lemire if he would um, consider selling the building to... St. Mary's Bank, so that they would always have the birthplace of of their credit union as well as the credit union movement in the country. And Mr. Lemire politely declined. And as the story goes, several weeks or months passed, and Mr. Lemire walked down the hill, knocked on Ron's door, and said, I won't sell you my building, but I will give it to you. Wow. Which is a really cool story. Yeah. And that only gets better by knowing what happens next. The whole transaction takes place. You know, they decide that they're going to create a foundation that becomes, you know, the Museum Heritage Foundation. The transaction to transfer the property from the Lemire family to the St. Mary's Bank Foundation, date is set. This elderly woman and her daughter come to the closing, and they ask Ron if they can sit in on the closing, and since it's a public transaction, he had no reason to say no. Transaction goes through, the building now belongs to the foundation. This elderly woman comes up to Ron Rio and says, Do you want to know why this was so important for me to witness? I said yes, and she said it was my father, Joseph Boivin, who started the first credit union. So unbeknownst to anyone, the daughter of the very first manager made herself known to us. She was, you know, ninety years old at the time. And she was instrumental in helping us to restore this space to what it was like in 1908.
1: Geez, that really is incredible. That is—I yeah.
0: it, mean, it's a—it's a, it's a great—you know—there's a great story of you know the the family donating the building, but then to have the person who actually lived in this space come forward and say, "Hey, I think I can help you," and you know the museum foundation had the foresight to record all of those interviews with her, so. We actually have the oral history from someone who lived in this space when the very first credit union transactions were taking place.
1: Yeah, and that oral history you mentioned—that that's always so interesting to get. That that's that's always—I uh, don't want to say it's more interesting, but it's just as significant as the kind of the linear history. This happened, and this happened, and this happened. When you could share Absolutely. those anecdotes, that really gives so much more context to the stories.
0: Absolutely. So she would tell us, you know, she told us, you know, how the physical space was laid out. But you're right. She told us stories of how her father had evening hours because that's when the mill workers were available. And the front hallway was always very loud and boisterous and smoke filled as people were waiting. And you sort of, you get a sense of what it was like to be here then.
1: Exactly. You paints, know, and
0: it, that's not something you necessarily get from the dates and times.
1: Right, it like paints a said. picture. It paints a picture. Absolutely.
0: yeah Yeah, it's living history, so to speak. Absolutely. So those are very important histories. Those are the original stories that we need to capture.
1: And you mentioned the foundation. How is the, how is the museum supported?
0: So the museum is funded solely by donations from individuals, credit unions, and credit union partners. Um, We just finished a capital campaign in 2017 and we launched a sustaining membership campaign that has connected us with every single credit union in the country through the leagues that we're great partners with that gives every single credit union the opportunity to support the mission of the museum.
1: And what's the museum's mission?
0: So officially, um, and I'm going to read this as it's written so that I will give you the official mission. The official mission of the museum is to commemorate the founders and the site of America's first credit union in Manchester, New Hampshire in 1908, and to educate present and future generations on the benefits of cooperative self-help efforts to promote thrift and sensible use of credit, which is a great mission. The real mission of the Crate Union Museum is to tell the human side of the Crate Union story, you know, to seek out the stories of the movement and to seek them out and to tell them in a way that will involve and inspire and personalize the experience for visitors. You know, we want you to come through the doors and be caught up in the different stories and to really connect with the people that came through the movement before you. And it, I mean, we all know that it's it's through that knowledge that we we better understand who we are and how we got there.
1: Yeah, and credit unions, um, as, as you probably know, I'm sure you know, they really value their history um, as individual organizations. Do you think the museum has a bigger significance for credit unions than it might for other industries um, as far as having a story to tell or a legacy to hold on to?
0: You know, as the director of the museum, I'd love to think that's true. Um, But, you know, I think the simple fact of the matter is museums all exist for the same reason. It's to preserve a history and guide the next generation. I think that credit union history and heritage inspires great loyalty and passion, more so than maybe some other industries, because the credit union movement has done so much good. And people want to be part of that. You know, you always want to surround yourself with the positivity. So I think that there's there is certainly more loyalty because of what we do.
1: To that end, how do you secure the your your artifacts, your you know, your displays?
0: There's actually a lot of different ways. Um, you know, certainly the museum has been open for some, you know, fourteen, fifteen years now, and a lot of the original um artifacts and displays came through from CUNA, from League Partners where we we get those really big nuggets, you know, the Estes Park display and, you know, World Council and some legislation. A lot of it, it's very organic. We have conversations with people that visit. We go out and we go to different you know trade shows or we go to annual meetings. And real organic conversations bubble up and the stories that are happening, you know, retiring executives telling their stories. Um, a lot of stuff comes that way. Leagues cleaning out and moving offices, you know, artifacts will come that way. Um, so it's, there's a lot of different sources, but I can't say there's necessarily one source for our artifacts because it's such a such an organic movement.
1: Yeah. I know that, uh, like Jill Tomlin, CUNIS Chief Operating Officer, she, she told me a story about how how she and some cuna folks and some people from the museum maybe you were one of them were going through piles of old cuna artifacts just stuff i don't want to say junk uh (laughs) literally, literally a room full of stuff um they were saving some things tossing some things setting aside things it was specifically for the museum and i'm guessing that that's almost an everyday part of your job i'm guessing Is that kind of where the magic happens in curating a museum? And how do you determine what to keep and what to throw away?
0: It is. I was actually part of that trip. That was a great trip. Um, And a lot of times it feels like, you know, you get rooms full of credit union archives, and it's a little bit like going through your grandmother's attic.
1: Yeah. You
0: just, you never know what you're going to find. And as someone who loves history, to me, that's fascinating. And, you know, one of our challenges is, you know, separating what is significant to the box of tchotchkes, you know, and I said that a lot of the stuff that we get are archives from retiring credit union executives, Um, you know, and pick up any trade publication and you'll see that they're retiring at a lightning speed. Um, So there's certainly, there's a constant influx of information that's being sent to us. And the the very simple way of saying what is significant to the museum and what are we looking for is if it is significant to the movement as a whole. Maybe not necessarily a credit union's personal history, but how does it move the credit union industry? One of the things I learned very early on in this process was as stewards of the history, we really have no idea what credit union professionals 100 years from now are going to think is significant. So that is sort of what we use as, you know, our bellwether is what's what are we holding on to that somebody 100 years from now will think, wow, that's really interesting. That really tells a story. We're fortunate to live in a digital age where we can archive a lot of that stuff digitally now so it doesn't take up, you know, actual physical space, which we certainly, even though we're expanding, we still have just a limited amount of.
1: Sure. One of the museum's latest projects is the CUNA Research Center. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Um, The museum, like I said earlier, has just finished a four-year, $3.35 million capital campaign. Um, The end goal of that campaign was to create the Research Center, digitize Credit Union Archives, and expand our overall exhibit space. So what we've done is we have fully renovated and connected a vacant building that sat on the same lot as the museum. As part of the leadership gift from CUNA, the creation of the research center establishes a permanent place for the archives. It's allowing us to bring them all in one place where they're easily accessible and available to people both physically as well as virtually through our second phase, which will be to digitize everything that we have here second phase will also include renovating the current museum.
1: So that really sounds like a significant, almost not a step up, but almost like a new era kind of thing for the museum.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So the museum is connected to the research center through what we call um, our skywalk because it's on the second floor. It's not as high tech as that word makes it sound. (laughs) But we love the visual of connecting the past with the future. And, you know, the research center certainly affords us that opportunity. And you're right. It is a new era for the museum.
1: And museums kind of have to do that. They, they, they can't just live in the past. They always have to kind of remain relevant. And, and to that end, what can, if I'm a CU person today, what can they learn from the pioneers of the movement?
0: I think that in today's world, we're very quick to discount the power of one. We we shy away from taking on what seems like insurmountable because we've been conditioned to think that we can't possibly make the difference as just one person. And I think that that's where the history of the credit union movement really matters. Monsignor Heavey, who saw a need within his parish, Attorney Joseph Bovan, who opened up his front parlor to establish the credit union, you know, to the 52 delegates that showed up at Estes Park in Colorado to create the National Association. It was all just one good idea and it was a desire to make life better in your community. And I think that if the museum helps to inspire that next generation of credit union leaders to go out and make a difference and that you can go out and make a difference, we've done our job.
1: How do people respond I mean, respond when they visit the museum? You know, What do they gravitate towards?
0: Well, we always say, um, as a collective you know, museum folks, that once people come to the museum, they get it. There's something about the space. That it's very special. And to understand that, you know, you sort of have to, to walk through the space. And the museum is set up on three levels. And the first level is, like I said, the historic birthplace of the movement. It's Attorney Boivin's office set up exactly as it was in 1908 with original ledgers and original meeting minutes, which are in French, um, some original furniture. So naturally, people gravitate towards that space. We let people sit at the desk, you know, take your picture, touch and feel the history, become immersed in it. So for most people, if not every visitor, that credit union office space on the first floor, it's a sacred space. There's sort of a reverence about the space that you truly need to experience in person. It allows you to really transport yourself back a hundred years. And then the second floor um, starts with what i call the transition room to sort of set the scene. Second floor starts with an exhibit on Estes Park where the movement really sort of took off across the country. And then that opens up into our Hall of States, which is our main exhibit hall. In that space it is our end goal to have representation from every state in the country in the Hall of States. So visitors naturally are looking for their state or the state that they have a connection to. And that Jen tends to really bring conversations about what is significant to their state. If their state's not there, how do we get them in the museum? So people, you know, particularly out of town visitors gravitate towards that second floor space. And then the third floor is our conference center. Conference center sits at the very top of the building, the, one of the higher points in the city of Manchester. It overlooks the Mills, where the mill workers worked in 1908, it overlooks the new St. Mary's Bank at the bottom of the hill, and we're still right next door to the church, so you can hear the church bells. So, it allows people to sort of be grounded in what got them here, and maybe you know use the space to to plan the future of their credit union. We anticipate that a lot of groups will take advantage of the space we've created there. There's a smaller Research library, which is going to be the Dick Ensweiler Research Library, where we hope boards of directors will come and, you know, do smaller planning sessions or training events. So it's a very exciting time to visit Manchester, New Hampshire.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about the Dick Ensweiler Research Library?
0: So the, one of the, the jewels of the CUNY Research Center is the Ensweiler Research Library, which was created as an honor to Dick's 40 plus years in the credit union movement. Um, Dick served on our board from the very beginning, um, of the museum. And when he retired, we did a little bit of a initiative to, to name that space in his honor. That's going to be the space that, that actually holds those physical archives. The, the books written by Ed Filene and Roy Bergengren and those old rare things that we pulled out of the CUNA archive. That's going to be a really cool space to, to really physically surround yourself with the history of the credit union movement.
1: Yeah, there is a lot of books about the history. People don't have kind of seen it here at YUNA. Do you have a favorite historical figure from credit unions?
0: My favorite historical figures from the credit union movement are today's torchbearers. They're truly, you know, my heroes. We're inundated with negativity at every turn, and if we take the time to really focus and listen to what's going on in the movement. You discover very quickly we 're surrounded by people just like those original pioneers, and I think one of the the jobs of the museum is to to continue telling the story, like you said we can't be just this block of time in nineteen oh eight we have to continue to tell those stories of people continuing to do good and I think that in of itself it's it's truly inspiring, and it really gives me um a lot of faith in the sustainability of the credit union model. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.